Hey, 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 welcome to the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Goop Fellas. Welcome. We have taken over your device. Will, I need to ask you a question. What's that? <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like a robot. <laughs> Just because there's a microphone in front of me. Um, and our next guest is Diane V. Capaldi. Um, talk about someone who has taken a very non-conventional um, tack uh, to her life now. And an amazing, amazing story of, of inspiration and somebody who just went through, I mean, she literally went through hell mm-hmm. and has come out the other side as just this beautiful human. Yeah, I mean, just talk about somebody that had it all, everything going for her. She was making lots of money. She was successful in her career. And then to have all of that ripped away from a disease like MS, and this can be applicable to anybody with any sort of health crisis. And then where do you go from here? And her, like, as you said, this unconventional path to healing Mm -hmm. and what that looked like for her, uh, I love hearing her speak. She's an engaging speaker uh, and so it's such a great testimony to the the power of the human spirit not giving up being brave in spite of the biggest darkness of your life mm-hmm. and you know she talks about darkness a lot too which i think is really very brave of her she talks about being at a low point where she considered taking her own life where she mm-hmm. felt that she was a burden on other people and to to see her go from that and to grow into being a completely different human is is really amazing and it's just hugely inspirational. I'm I'm really excited about about sharing this conversation. Yeah, so let's get into the conversation. Here is our epic wild conversation with Diane V Capaldi. Can you go back to when you were first diagnosed with MS, what MS is and just help them understand the origins of your your transformation? Sure, sure. Thank you, Will. Um well, multiple sclerosis is basically, I, you know, my layman's description would be it's a hyper immune system. So for me, like I'm a sun bunny, a beach girl, lay out in the sun, your body gets a little, little overheated, MS wakes up and it's like, whoa, there's something wrong. And it's confused and it actually attacks the covering of our brain called the myelin. So I think of it like little Pac-Man, you know, they go around, they eat the covering of our brain and depending on where they hang out, it exposes certain nerve endings and which causes for a lot of this disability. Some of the most common things that we run up against are optic neuritis, visionary problems, um, problems moving our limbs. Um, Some of us have speech issues. A lot of us have loss of feeling. Some of us have uh, trigeminal pains, which is like nerve, like a zapping, burning pain, um, loss of feeling. It could be anything. And um, MS is known as a progressive, often progressive debilitating disease. And um, how it manifested in me was you know, my truth is that I was a respiratory therapist and at the time the largest burn center in the East Coast of Pennsylvania, part of a helicopter transport team, flying all over, doing what I needed to do as a respiratory therapist. The next day I woke up with tingling on my left foot. And it um, within 10 days, you could draw a line down the left side of my body and I couldn't feel it. I could feel that like tingling, like when your foot falls asleep mm-hmm. or something, but I couldn't feel anything other than that. So if you put cold or hot or anything against only the left side of my body, I couldn't feel it. And, you know, for me at that time, I just thought I pulled a muscle because 
I was really into aerobics. Aerobics had just started in Jane Fonda. And <laughs> cute little leotards. Yeah. Do you have any pictures from this time period? <laughs> oh, my God. I wish I did. But the minimalist in me doesn't hold on to anything outside of my mind's eye. But, <laughs> Bless um, you. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I was, like, totally into all those, like, Jane Fonda jumping around things. And mm-hmm. I thought I just pulled a muscle. But then when it started progressing, the respiratory therapist in me knew that something wasn't right. So How did it start progressing? I, um, like, what, what, what happened next? Like, where did it go from, from the tingles? Well, the tingles started, like, in my foot, and then it was to my ankle, and then it was to my knee, and then it was to my, you know what I mean? Oh, okay, the fact so that it, it moved up your body, up yeah. my body, yeah. So, um, I, in my family, I had a couple, like, physician's assistants and, you know, uh, nurses, and, you know, I was asking them on, like, the, the big Italian Sunday dinner, and one of them recommended, you know what, I think you should go to the doctor. So... I went to the doctor and the doctor, my family doctor just said, I want you to stand up, stand on one leg and put your arms out. And I tried to do that and I fell flat on my face. So that was a clear indication something was not right to me and to that, you know, doctor at the time sent me to a neurologist right away who, um, they, and, you know, initially weren't sure what I had. They told me I had MS after, you know, months of testing and just basically gave me Valium. Mm-hmm. for spasms and pain. But my mom had been a prescription drug addict my whole life, so I didn't want Valium. Mm-hmm. So I said no to Valium and yes to, at that time, which was 1987, um, cannabis and essential oils. Mm-hmm. So I started like kind of a holistic journey, but still working in traditional, in Western, you know, healthcare. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I was introduced to the MS Society. Fast forward, I ended up becoming on the board of directors of the National MS Society. I went into remission. They also told me never to have a baby. And I always wanted to be a mom, so I didn't listen to them because mm-hmm. I'm kind of that person. Right. So I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, all my symptoms went away. It's so funny how that happens so often with autoimmune dysfunction. But mm-hmm. then it comes back. That's, That's what it often yeah. <laughs> it went away for. Yeah, when it comes back, it really comes back. Well, I mean, we'll talk about my tour, but in the work that I've done, there's a lot of people that I visit, women that constantly stay pregnant because of that reason alone, which I was really surprised to learn that. But, but there, I think I've, I could probably fill one hand with the number of women that I've met on tour that do that. So for a lot of people, it is, you know, their, their harms reduction mm-hmm. almost in dealing with uh, multiple sclerosis. So for some people, there is, and I was part of the study with UCLA, there are some people that when you get pregnant, the hormone balance creates, you know, a very nice, wonderful environment for dealing with autoimmune. And then there's a small percentage that about six months later, it's the exact opposite. I happen mm-hmm. to fall into the category where it was great. So during that time, I built all these tech companies, was living life, da 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 raised my daughter. And also was, you know, started taking disease-modifying drugs. I'm the type A overachiever. So, you know, whatever the doctor said, I did. And, you know, this and that and the other thing. And then in typical MS fashion, I'll never forget it. I, you know, I was just standing there. I owned a store at this time. I was standing there ringing somebody out at the register. And the next thing I knew, I, like, I couldn't see. I couldn't think. I couldn't hold myself up. And that just began a series of attacks that ended up debilitating me by the age of 37. It was very aggressive when it came back. Wow. And, yeah. And um, so fast forward, I'm 41, and it's 
you know, I'm, I've now lost the ability to use my hands bilaterally, um, you know, declared legally permanently disabled. Um, I did have financial means at that point. So decided to sort of like just travel around the world for two years and sort of a relaxing atmosphere, sort of remove myself from normal everyday stresses and just focus on trying to quote unquote, live my best life mm -hmm. and emerge this healed being is what I thought um, we were doing. And did you, in actuality, did you think that in doing that though, part of what you were doing was just, was there any fear that like you weren't going to be around for that long? So you had to do it now while you still could. Was there anything that was well, like, that oh, you know, I got to get this done because I'm not going to be able to do it if I don't? You know, that's a great question. And that wasn't driving me. It truly was that, you know, thinking that if I removed myself from everyday stress, this was probably, you know, what I needed. But there was a part of me up until not that long ago, because I'm 56, I'll be 56 in May, that truly believed that I'd be dead by 55 because mm -hmm. my mom died. We've had a lot of young death in, in my family, and, um, and I have just never been well. So following in the footsteps of a lot of family members, I thought, well, I'm just going to be like my mom, her brother, my dad's brother, like, you know what I mean? So I just, you know, and I did live my life like it was my last breathing day from the get-go. You know, we came back from that trip, and right away I had an appointment with my neurologist like five days later or something like that, like within a week. And we go, and my neurologist was like, my dad, I love this man dearly, and I'm so grateful life provided him to me over the years. And he said to me, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I think that, you know, you have definitely progressed to the most debilitating form. I don't see things getting better, and, you know, you should get your affairs in order because, God. you know, this is where we are, you mm -hmm. know, and people with MS, you know, we're the second youngest and largest living population and in institutions in America. So, you know, and I, I was very, you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't just, somebody doesn't just tell me I have a disease. Like I was on the board, like I get involved, mm -hmm. like, right. I'm, you know, I am that person, you know, so, you know, every statistic I already knew, you know, and I, you know, my husband at the time, you know, drove me home from that meeting and was like, this is just devastating. You know, I just have to go to the movies and clear my head. And he never came back. He literally just like walked out the door and never came back. <laughs> literally. You know, Mount Mim in his place where my body's, you know, like everything is just falling apart around me. And, you know, fast forward a couple months later, my dog died and my daughter <sighs> finds this to be way too much for her and decides, you know, for the first time in her life, she's going to move in with her dad. And God bless him for taking a 17 year old because mm -hmm. like girl. Like literally, that's like almost a curse. You know, um, one of the things though that that makes me think of is just how. I mean, your your story is remarkable, and what you've done is incredible. And what we don't often think about when we're talking about illness is how it impacts the rest of the nuclear family and everyone else who's involved in our lives. And for some people, it's just it's too much. I don't know if in your circumstances, if your ex husband was was a caregiver or if he was just there, but how the disease impacted your relationship. I'm sure it was inevitable that it did. Absolutely. I mean, and actually my daughter left to save herself from, you know, I, ha I had self-destructive behaviors, uh, you know, that now I clearly see, but I couldn't see then 
um, because my behaviors were similar to almost everyone around me's behaviors, you know, and for a, a, a large majority of the time, you know, it was all I knew. And, um, you know, a big part of my healing is my consciousness in life. You know, my eyes are so wide open now that, you know, my world gets very small because people don't want to be around me because I'm like, oh, that's toxic. Oh, no, I can't mm-hmm. do that. Oh, I, you know what I mean? Like, I only buy recycled clothes. No, I don't want to do that. No, I won't do that. No, you know what I mean? I'm a minimalist. I live in 60 square feet. You know, like, it's constantly like, whoa. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely was barely, I don't even say I was holding it together. I had people holding me together. I was like Humpty Dumpty. Mm-hmm. I fell off the wall, and I had a lot of people. I'm grateful for the many people in my life because there was a time period where, I couldn't have made a cup of coffee mentally, physically. I, I, I mean, when, when my, when all of that happened, you know, husband, daughter, dog, body, well, body, husband, dog, daughter, that was the order all within like five months. Oh my God. So you, um, you hit, did you hit rock bottom and bounce or did you hit rock bottom and splat? Like this is, is this the moment where you realize it's, this is the end? At that moment, I realized that drastic times called for drastic measures. I just didn't know what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like things always just happen. Like I'm walking down the street, and then it's like, whoa, brick hit forehead. This is what I need to do. <laughs> and, you know, and that's what happened. I was sitting in my great room looking at this beautiful atlas that we had. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to open that atlas and I need to, because. My body cannot regulate temperature. So here I am, Philadelphia, born and bred, and I had become a prisoner in my house as what I consider global warming is affecting my ability to live because Mm -hmm. the temperature is going from 100 degrees to below zero in short periods of time. And if it's hot and humid, I can't move my body. And if it's it's damp, cold, I'm in extreme pain. So Mm -hmm. to me, I was like, I need to move. Like that's the first thing is I need to get to a climate that gives me a fighting chance. So I grabbed the atlas out and I decided that over that next year, I was going to identify three places and I was going to rent houses and go live in those places for a month. And I also needed to live in a community where everything was what I could walk to because I couldn't really drive or do anything like that, but I could kind of walk or things could be brought to me because of my mom's deathbed. She said to me, old people always leave cities. Old people should move to cities. You have a disease. You need to live in a big city because... Mm -hmm. This way, stuff can be brought to you. You know, all food can be delivered. That's, you know, Italians, all we care about is food. So, um... That's when you found California, right? Yep. And I decided that the day my daughter went off to college, I was going to move to Venice Beach, California. So you get to California... And at that time, you were over that time before that. You were making a lot of money, and you said you were kind of you'd be financially stable. You weren't so worried yeah. about it. Can you talk about the financial oh. impact that this disease had for you? Yeah, I built and sold in that short period of time after I delivered my daughter that my hormones were great and MS seemed like a you know they didn't know what they were talking about. I built and sold tech companies like literally you're building a company that has six million in sales, but yet somebody's willing to pay thirty five million for it. You know that kind of stuff, and you know I made millions of dollars. So when I moved to California, I had two and a half million dollars, all of it invested, and I'm earning about six thousand dollars a month just in. In interest, like I'm mm-hmm. not even touching my principal, so I'm thinking I am financially set. Like it's, you know, I'm great. Like I'm moving to California. I don't have to worry about money. I just have to worry about healing. Well, 
in America, when you have a disease like I have and you're on Medicare, which I was, like physical therapy for me, because I mentioned I didn't have use of my hands, Mm -hmm. I needed it three times a week to an hour, an appointment to be able to feed myself, dress myself and use the ladies room. Okay. And which to me, you know, that we're talking dignity at this point, Uh you know, I want to hold a fork and, you know, I I want to be able to, yes. And they only give you eight appointments a year because it's not an incurable, it's an incurable disease. Like if there's no cure, our healthcare system says, well, why are we going to keep doing this? We can't cure it. You know, quality of life does not come into play. So I would pay for those mm-hmm. at $150 an appointment, sometimes more if I needed light therapy or I needed other things like traction, which I needed most of the time. So I was spending mm-hmm. probably on average about, well, I'll tell you, I was spending $37,000 a year in out-of-pocket healthcare costs. Wow. And I needed, you know, you have no use of your hands. That's the highest form of disability you can have. So I need a full-time help. Well, if you have money in the bank, you have to pay for that full-time help. And I had money in the bank. So think about what that costs, 17 to $20 an hour, a minimum 40 hours a week. I had to pay for that for years upon year, all by myself, with my own money, because I had money. See, if I didn't have money, they would give you Medicare. And I'm sure there's people that do these things where they hide money here. Listen, I was barely surviving. There was none of that happening. Like, I didn't know I was going where I was going. I had no, I mean, from the time my husband left to the time when I lost my the use of my hands, we're talking like two and a half years. I barely had the time. Like my hand usage was already lost, but it went from, I could hold a piece of toilet paper and use my hand to like use the ladies room to where I only had a choice. You can Mm -hmm. hold the paper, you can move your hand, but you're not getting both. Like you can put your hand around the cup or you can lift it, but not really both, you know? So that becomes a very limiting proposition, you know, like Mm -hmm. I could do nothing. So, how are your hands today? I ha- I move my body freely today. Yeah, hundred percent. So you're you're in in California, and mm-hmm. what before you get better, you're in this dark place. I mean, what are you? What's going through your mind? What was your first experience in California at that time? Well, I got to tell you, California is like its own little country out here. You know, everyone exercises is health conscious there's you know the the great temperatures there's farms there's farmers markets you know so that part was awesome so much so that i was able to believe it or not become a certified yoga and spin instructor sounds crazy um and started getting like part-time jobs and really thinking like maybe you know i might be able to have gainful employment but in typical ms fashion I just started falling. Like I would just be walking and blip. I started falling and those falls debilitated me a hundred times more to the point where now I'm out of money. I'm in constant pain. I cannot do. I remember weekend. I'm sorry. I get emotional when I recall this stuff, but I remember one weekend because I used to have therapeutic body work and acupuncture too that I paid for. I remember one weekend, because my physical therapist was always my, I mean, my, my therapeutic body work was always my last appointment on Friday. And she would come to my house and work on me. And before she left, she would fill up my Brita. She would like make sure, put my trash out, like chop anything I needed. She would literally spend all this time doing all these things for me. And 
when she was also my first thing on Monday. So she arrives on Monday and she looked at me and I was sitting in exactly the same place I was sitting when she left. And she oh was like, God. how was your weekend? And then as she was saying that, she was like, have you moved all weekend? And I'm like, other than to go to the bathroom? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, no. And she was like, why? And I'm like, Cause I, 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 I can't do anything. Like, I can't. I can't open the refrigerator. Like, I can't. I can't do anything. So at that that whole weekend, I just thought it's time for me to take my own life. I mean, this is insane. I have no money. They're going to put me away or I'm going to be homeless. I should just, like, I don't want my daughter to have care for me. She has a bright future. She's on scholarship at Berkeley College of Music, like the number one jazz school in the world. And, like, here's me. Like, I can't have this. So the rational human being I am, I went to Burning Man. I don't know if you know what that mm -hmm. is. Yeah, we know. But. So I went to Burning Man, which is a festival in the desert, and I went to Burning Man because they built a temple and because I would be cut off from the outside world and because I just wanted to pray. I just wanted to figure out what I needed to do and if I was going to take my own life, what did that look like? And mm -hmm. it was like a miracle because by the fourth day in the in the temple, it like another brick hit forehead moment, it was like maybe... Maybe it's the way I live my life. Like maybe our healthcare system is broken and maybe going to a doctor and telling him I have a symptom, you know, like after I eat pizza, I get heartburn and yeah. they're like, take, you know, tag him it. Like maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense mm -hmm. to me anymore. You know, maybe somebody should tell me not to eat the pizza. Like, right. I don't know. So I decided that after Burning Man, I was going to lock myself in the house for a year and I was going to try and figure this out. And I mentioned to you all that I was a certified yoga instructor and that I was Miss Little Miss Aerobics. So I'd always been moving my body, moving my body consciously, exercising like I am that junkie, you know. I also, when I was at my worst, decided to study Buddhism. So I became really interested in Buddhism, and which brought me to Metta, which nurtured self-love in me and allowed me to rid my life of a lot of toxins, um, which were mainly thoughts at that time for me that mm -hmm. I was aware of. I hadn't really graduated to understanding toxic people, societal and cultural norms influencing my life and things like that. So after Burning Man, I locked myself in the house for a year and just stopped interacting with everyone but my healthcare team and got conscious, started studying Foucault, who's a French philosopher, just got really conscious about my life and owning my life. And it just so happens at the same time, I saw a TEDx by Dr. Terry Walls called Minding Your Mitochondria. And here's this woman showing you a picture of her in a tilt reclining wheelchair, then standing there talking, saying she follows a modified form of a paleo diet where she feeds her mitochondria. And she's now talking about healing at the cellular level. And that was the moment that it all clicked for me. It was like, that's what I have to do. I, I don't, it's not masking. It's not symptomatic management. It's like, I got to fix what's broken. And I had done that. Like my self love journey, like all of that was fixing, moving. Like I can't change why my body is can't regulate body temperature, but physically getting up and moving did help me, gave me a starting chance. Mm -hmm. You know, like these are all, you know, it's all harms reduction. You know, harms reduction is, you know, a, nic a nicotine patch. Maybe it's less harmful than smoking. Harms reduction, you know what I mean? Yep. So for me, leaving the temperature issues and being able to just have a stable temperature to live at created the space for me to have the energy to work on healing myself in other ways by maybe going to, on a yoga mat, which I couldn't do before. You know what I'm saying? So, so was this like a, but I mean, this is obviously a major shift in mindset of going from feeling like, okay, 
I mean, it doesn't. It never sound. It doesn't sound like you were ever. What was me? I'm a victim. You you always had this sense of like I'm I'm a warrior, not a victim. But it it seems as though you got to a point where you felt as though you were nothing more than a burden on the people around you, and you weren't going to get any better. And then you had this. Was it a cataclysmic shift of mindset where you're like, no, wait, fuck this. I can actually do something. I can change. I and and was I it really credited it with Burning Man? Like it's amazing that energy at mm-hmm. a place like Burning Man, which is like anything goes, mm-hmm. and no one is going to judge you. And it and in the temple, the religious spirit of the temple, and a lot of the people are at the temple really praying or have have had great loss or an agony or suffering or. You know, so you're in this space where you see people just looking for hope. And, you know, as a collective, I'm such a community lover, you know, and as a collective, you know, and I remember when they burned the temple, because that's what they do. When they burnt the temple, I just believed at that moment that I had the power to figure this out. And if I, and I gave myself a time limit and, and it was going to take me a year, but, um, so when, and do, that's seeing Dr. Terry Wall's video to me was a sign. Yeah. So when you you went there thinking I'm going to figure out if I am going to kill myself, end my life, what's that going to look like? This was this transformation for your life. What what when you went back home? What did that look like? What did that year timeline look like for you? Well, it was really hard because I didn't have conversation with anyone about this part of it. I just stopped answering texts phone calls, invitations. I mean, I literally just cut myself off and began questioning everything about my life. I mean, the simplest things were I always set an alarm clock. And when that alarm clock went off every day, I was I would jump out of bed scared to death. And I, I mean, I, I was just like, why do I do that? Like, why do I wake up? Like, I also, and then so I'd be scared to death. And then the next thing I would do is be like, all right, what MS take from you overnight? So I'd lay in bed for 30 minutes and do a body scan to see what I could move, what I could feel, what her like, what a horrible way to start your day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my mind and intention for the day started with misery. Just realizing that was hugely powerful for me to be like, you know, what? I'm going to open my eyes and I'm not going to do it with an alarm clock. And when I open my eyes, I'm going to be like joy, joy, gratitude. I get another day to fight the good fight, to figure this out to be a mom, to be a woman, to be a citizen, to be, you know what I mean? Because it got to the point where people would call me and be like, hey, you know, we want you to come over for dinner. And all I could think of was, are they going to have stairs? Mm-hmm. Do they have air conditioning? Do they have heat on? What are they eating? How far is the bathroom from the table? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all worry, no joy. Joy had left the building. Right. And that's what I was learning in when I came back from Burning Man, that Fear was in charge, and joy had left the building, and I needed to, to bring shift joy that. back. So you shifted yep. that paradigm. You started with the, the mindset of, I, I can change this, and I will change this. I My hope was to just stop what MS was doing to my body. I never, ever for one second thought I could reverse. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget about 18 months in when the left side of my body started to wake up, which had mm-hmm. been dead since the very beginning. And I remember by at this point now, I know Dr. Walls, I'm on her board of directors and because the type A overachiever (laughs) in me, of course, hunted her down. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you need to like hear my story. And um, I remember calling her and being like, 
it doesn't feel the same as the right side, but I can feel. Like, mm-hmm. before I would go to the doctors and they'd, like, stick a pin in the right side and then the left side and the right side would be like, oh, yeah, I feel it. And the left side, I'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. Well, now, if they stuck that pin in the left side, I definitely could feel it. And that moment is when I knew that whatever was happening was groundbreaking mm-hmm. and new and not happening to a lot of people and that I truly was now not only in symptom management, but I was cellularly repairing right. damage that my body had incurred. That's when I knew. So I, you know, cellular level healing is what I care mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Remarkable how the body just, you know, incredible. It can heal itself. You leave it, you get out of the way and you, <laughs> st- you stop beating it up and you stop giving it all this, this, this negative speak. And suddenly the body starts doing what it intuitively has known how to do for millions of years. It's a crazy concept. Yeah, it really is a nutty concept. <laughs> but wait a second, we can actually be great if we allow ourselves to be great. So where are you at now health-wise? Just where, we knew where you were. What's your function now, Fee? I have, um, I move my body freely and I've regained all, pretty much all function um, with regard to, uh, I have actually have multiple sclerosis, Hashimoto's, Epstein-Barr, and I probably do have Lyme disease. I've never been, uh, I've been tested once, but, um, and my full-time job is managing my life to support disease management on all mm-hmm. levels. So, you know, a perfect example is, is like, I can't just wake up every day and eat whatever I want. You know, it's, it's, it's consciousness all throughout the Mm -hmm. day. So seven to nine hours of sleep, I follow my circadian rhythm. I follow a paleo, we'll say maybe a little primal lifestyle because I have Mm -hmm. grass fed butter. I intermittent fast every day. I long-term fast. I meditate every day. I dance every day. I smudge every day. I laugh every day. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, all of those things. Okay? And, you're on, so, and you're on the road sharing that with a lot of other people, too, because you're a yeah, vagabond. I, <laughs> I am a vagabond. What, what are you doing now moving forward to keep spreading that beautiful message? Because it's really so, so important. Well, it's really interesting because, um, you know, my body and my conscious life sort of directs my every move. So back in 2015, I had this great idea that I would sell all my possessions and make myself voluntarily homeless. And... I couldn't drive for years and um, somehow now I was able to drive and um, which is just so amazing. And I went on social media and said, anyone that wants me to drive to their house anywhere in America, I'll drive to you. You just give me a place to stay. We'll hang out for, and I'll just show you whatever I know, everything I know that can, might be able to help you for free. And I've been doing that for, this is my, I'm into my fourth year right now. So for two and a half years, I drove around in my car, and then after that, the community um, bought me a van that we converted to a fairly green um, home on wheels, a 60-square-foot home on wheels, and I've been driving around in the van, um, living in people's driveway, helping them, so now they don't even have to give me a place to stay, and again, you know, freely offering everything I know, and I'm also a five-star rated chef, so I do cooking classes if they want, or if they want to invite like a group of people over, we can do like a little workshop. I do one-on-one intensives. Also, when I was at my sickest, I went back and got a master's in psychology, and I specialize in community. So um, I help build community. So when I go and visit you, like I don't just leave. I help you set up community because I believe that's the foundation of my healing. 
Whoa. How the hell do we unpack that conversation? Yeah. Oh my God. She really is incredible. What a phenomenal story. You know, the thing that really resonated most with me was this idea of inspiration and that she, V, has become just exactly what, you know, she's sort of evolved into being now this incredibly inspirational human being who has this capacity to help and uh, course correct so many other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I just, I have so much respect for her and I'm, I'm totally, what, what just, I mean, what a raw and beautiful conversation and, uh, and, and a very brave, brave woman. Yeah, and, and just to put yourself in someone that's going through a health crisis shoes of not having function, like not being able to use your hands, being bedridden and going from that to healing yourself completely free of medications and all of that stuff and just being healthy and working at your health. And now she literally, she has been driving around in her van with her little dog, mm-hmm. Gidget, <laughs> spreading this this vibrant message of optimal wellness. And she takes, like, she does not get paid for this. She's a missionary for wellness. And she is one of my heroes. And wow, yeah. I, I'm honored to, to know her in this conversation. I'm so excited people get to hear this amazing person. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear more from V and you want to know more about her work and what she's doing, go over to paleobosslady.com and you'll see all about where she is, where she's, where she is in her van uh, and you can help support her there. And um, yeah, I mean, what a, what a great story. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us. So just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. So we're going to close out with a question from you guys. This is a question I get all the time, and uh, I never really know how to answer it. So I'm going to see if maybe Dr. Will can help me out a little bit. with. But the question is, what was the last guilty pleasure food you ate with zero guilt? You know, I have to say, I'm going to jump in and just answer this, that I don't think that guilt is something that should ever be attached to food, regardless of what the food is. When we start to put this notion of should... Um, or obligation onto food or guilt onto food, then that's kind of the breeding ground for for orthorexia and for a, a very unhealthy relationship with food. So if I'm going to eat ice cream, I'm going to really enjoy the fuck out of that ice cream and I'm going to eat it. And that's that. <laughs> yes, that was going to be my answer as well, because uh, it is antithetical. Guilt and shame about food is antithetical to sustainable wellness. So the reality is you should love your body enough to nourish it with good stuff. But if you do it, choose it rationally, then eat the ice cream and move on. The problem is, is all this guilt and shame feeds into this sort of endless cycle. I'm a failure and I, I just, I'm giving up on healthy eating now because yeah. I failed. That is a really, I agree with you, an unhealthy relationship with food. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.